than a week from Christmas. So the countdown is on. Cassie is excited. I told someone yesterday that Cassie is the embodiment of Christmas spirit. So if if you ever wanted to know what Christmas spirit is like, just hang out with Cassie for a while. I'm the Grinch of this relationship, as you can tell. Well, if you are unfamiliar with Advent, Advent consists of the four Sundays preceding Christmas. And uh, if you didn't know, Christmas is kind of a big deal to the church, for it is the arrival of our God and King in um, bodily form. And so I think it's right that we as the church actually spend four weeks reflecting on what it means for God to come to us. We reflect for four weeks on what it means for our God to arrive in the form of a human. And throughout Advent, um, we reflect on the following themes, hope, peace, joy, and today, love. We reflect on love. And so today, we reflect on what it means that our God came to us in the form of a child, reflecting on what it means for him to show his love in such an odd unusual and surprising way. And so as we prepare to light the love candle, Father, we thank you that in Jesus you demonstrated your love, that in him coming as a small child, growing up amongst the Israelite people, living a life proclaiming your gospel, dying on a cross, being resurrected on the third day, and ascending to your right hand, it tells us something about your love. Lord, as we reflect on these things, illuminate what it might mean for us in our life, here and forevermore. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. So we light the candle of love. Cassie taught us last week that we should be careful with this because wax burns (laughs) and it hurts. Well, as we reflect on love, love is not a particular, uh, it's not an oddity to hear love connected to the Christmas season. Um, There's actually this local company you probably haven't heard of called Hallmark that's made a living talking about love quite a bit. And because it's a local company, I don't want to give it too much of a hard time, but just a little bit. Uh, if you didn't know, Hallmark's like global headquarters is like three minutes up the road, and you pass it every time you go to uh, Crown Center. But even though they're a local company, they are definitely contributing to a particular understanding of love at Christmas. Uh, I did a little bit of research, and I'd like to share some of the movies that have come out recently and are coming out. So this is the title, Love, Romance, and Chocolate. An American chocolatier enters a contest to become the chocolatier for the royal family of Belgium. While she's focused on winning the contest, an ad exec in charge of contest publicity ends up winning her heart. Oh, who would have thought? Next one, Jingle Bell Bride. A wedding planner finds romance with a handsome local after traveling to a remote town in Alaska to find a rare flower for a celebrity client. Wow, who would have thunk it? 
deliver by Christmas. Bakery owner Molly meets Josh, a newcomer in town. It's always the newcomer. (laughs) But is also enchanted by a mysterious client who she's never met in person. A special wish to be delivered by Christmas could help determine who will win Molly's heart. Oh. Love, lights, and Hanukkah. A restaurant... (laughs) A restauranteur receives a DNA test revealing that she's Jewish. The discovery leads her to a new family and unlikely romance over eight nights. Similar, not the same, but similar. If you think you can tell what the plot's going to be within four minutes of a Hallmark movie, you are absolutely right. Fun fact, Hallmark movies actually only operate off of one of 12 plot lines. So there are only 12 plot lines that they can follow, and it's always the same. For the love depicted in Hallmark movies is nostalgic, which cheesy, lovable, it's simple, and it is predictable. And I think for those reasons... People enjoy it. You know exactly what you're going to get out of it. Cassie has watched every single one of them multiple times. She definitely has. She's watched every single one of them multiple times and is still surprised when they kiss at midnight underneath the mistletoe. These things are predictable, nostalgic, and simple. And while these things kind of add to their charm, the love depicted in a Hallmark movie is pretty far removed from real life uh, because rarely is love wrapped up in nostalgia, simplicity, or predictability. This life is very unpredictable. Nostalgia doesn't go very far for us, and love is rarely as simple as it is depicted in a Hallmark movie. And while the plot of these movies are entirely predictable and simple, this is not the way our Christmas story begins. In fact, our God could not have shown up in a more unexpected way. For the God of love arrives in a surprising, unexpected, and fresh way. The heavenly messenger named Gabriel appears to Mary saying, Fear not. For you have found favor with your God. You will conceive a son. You will name him Jesus. And he will sit on the throne of David as king of an everlasting kingdom. To the person this message is given tells us something about the Christmas announcement. For it wasn't given to Herod the Great, the Jewish ruler of Judah in one of his many palaces, It wasn't given to Quinarius, the governor of the Syrian region entrusted by Rome to maintain order in that region. It wasn't given to Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome at the time, worshipped as the son of God. He was likely the most powerful man on the face of the planet at this moment, and yet the message is not to him. It wasn't to a high priest, a royal executive, a general, or even a man. This message is to a teenage girl in a forgotten rural community, irrelevant and impoverished. And this tells us something particular about what God is scheming. That the way in which he plans to take back his world is far from the halls of power. It's far from the relevant ways in which we think things ought to get done. It's in an irrelevant space 
to an unwed teenage girl. And it tells us that he will subvert the way things are supposed to be. And instead, he will take a fresh approach. Our God makes the unexpected choice that he will redeem his people, not through a conquering hero, but through an infant born to a teenage girl, unwed and insignificant. Spending time with baby Nora on Friday night and even this morning is a reminder how powerless Jesus came into our world. It's a reminder that in this beautiful little package, redemption and salvation and love enters into our world. For the God of love arrives in the most unexpected of ways and makes his home on the wrong side of the track. This is hardly anything like the predictable love of the Hallmark movie. For the whole story is one expected turn after another, because virgins aren't supposed to conceive children. I'm not going to give you a biology lesson, but virgins aren't supposed to conceive children. Older cousins are not supposed to be pregnant. Bethlehem is not supposed to be the birthplace of royalty. Infants and women are not supposed to receive the Spirit. And women aren't supposed to know the scriptures, and here they are the subject of it. The story of Christmas is that the God of love shows up in the most surprising of ways. In the incarnation, this moment where God becomes human and chooses to live amongst us and to dwell with us, And this reminder is that the Christmas announcement should cause us to ask the question, am I paying attention to the way God is acting in our world? If he is surprising as this in this moment, it would tell me that he is working in surprising ways throughout our world. And the question is, am I paying attention? One of the mistakes that we can make is thinking we know how God works. This infinite being who created the world in a matter of moments with only his voice. I make the mistake of reducing the God of the cosmos down to a few moral propositions or dogmas. For our God is free and wild in the sense that he doesn't abide by our laws, our customs, or our traditions. He works in his own way. Cultural assumptions, economic bias, personal dispositions, and just sometimes my own inattention often act as blinders, obscuring our ability to recognize God at work. If he he surprises us in the form of a little babe named Jesus, may we recognize that he is still surprising us today. We think that we can contain God to specific hours between 10.30 and 11.30 on Sunday, but he is constantly at work. We think we can keep him to our tidy liturgies and well-rehearsed songs, but he is constantly at work. Gail Doctor, in her devotional Advent, Love's Wild and Worldly Promise, writes this, This messy, wild, loving God who won't be contained or appeased by complacency 
or confined to our rules and our labels. This is a God who is born into troubled and violent times. As Jesus, as Messiah, he is invited back into our lives during this season, again into troubled and violent times. Chaos and discomfort are precisely what this God's arrivals cause, and this is where this God thrives. Dallas Willard once said, God makes his home at the end of our rope. That it's in the midst of the mess that our God enters in. He says, I am making my home here. That I will be your God amongst my people. And when we accept the fact that the God of love can show up in the most unexpected of ways, I think we'll begin to notice how much he is at work. If we have a particular idea of our God is contained and this is how he works, it's no wonder we miss him all the time. But if we just say our God is above our understanding, we just simply work to pay attention to where he's at work, I think we'll begin to notice where he's at. The messenger Gabriel explains to Mary that conception will not be through the standard methods. So he goes on, Mary asks the very good question of how will this be? (laughs) He explains that it will not be through the standard methods, but that the spirit that hovered over the waters of chaos that created the world as we know it will hover over her womb. And like creation, it will take the raw substance of her own womb and shape the Son of God. Gabriel then finishes his announcement by telling Mary that her much older cousin, Elizabeth, is also pregnant. Mary's response to all of this is an unqualified yes. And I don't think this does away with her fear, uncertainty or trepidation. It simply says that in spite of those things, she chooses to be faithful. And I think it's right for us in this season to reflect on the faithfulness of Mary. For faithfulness is not the absence of fear, doubt, or questions, but the willingness to trust and move forward in spite of those things. Imagine for a moment some of the things going through Mary's mind. She voices one concern, the biological challenge, uh, but there are a whole host of unspoken fears. What will my fiancé Joseph say? What will my parents say? What will my family say? What will my little town full of gossips say? How will I take care of this baby? Who will this baby be? But maybe more than any other New Testament figure, Mary paid attention to the Hebrew prophets. From the prophets, Mary knew that God favored the powerless over the powerful. He favors the weak over the strong, the poor over the wealthy. God humbles the proud and elevates the humble. God never relents and he always shows up. According to Rachel Held Evans, kind of a devotional author and cultural commentator. She writes, From the prophets, Mary knew that God could very well use someone like her. An unmarried teenage girl, a minority in occupied territory at a turbulent time in history, to bring the Messiah into the world, into the most unceremonious of ways, through water and womb, blood and labor pains, lullabies and gentle kisses and the helplessness 
of a baby's cries. And so she says, yes, she believed. Mary knew that the God of the prophets showed up in surprising ways and that his love was relentless. The Apostle John, in his pastoral letter, summarizes these moments. In 1 John 4, John writes, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also, so are we in the world. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Mary draws upon the God of love and acts courageously, giving an unqualified yes to carry the Son of God. She then hastily gathers her things and makes her way to her cousin Elizabeth, this older woman who was barren for many years, a source of great cultural shame. She goes to her cousin, which the moment is actually epitomized by Philip de Champagne. Champagne? Champagne? I don't know how to say it. It's French. It's called The Visitation, and it's this photo right here. And it immortalizes this moment between two women carrying unlikely children. This moment of John the Baptist and Jesus meeting for the first time, not in person, but in womb. And upon arriving, the Spirit falls upon Elizabeth, helping her recognize Mary as the mother of her Savior. And the fetus John stirs and leaps in his mother's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. Mary steps in, and as she greets Elizabeth, the spirit descends upon Elizabeth, and John, still a fetus, still developing himself, stirs in his womb, leaping at the reality that his God has come close. And I think what Luke is reminding us in this whole story is that Elizabeth and John's reaction depict what he wants for the disciples of Jesus, that we recognize that life with God is a joy. And that any time he draws close, we should react in joy. That when our God comes close, all of creation feels the joy of its creator coming near. And this ties the story of John the Baptist and Jesus together. But I think it's also God's surprising mercy that gives both Mary and Elizabeth someone to walk through a bizarre pregnancy alongside. An unwed pregnant woman and a woman far past childbearing years become empowered by the Spirit and pronounce the gospel that God is working in the uncertain and the forgotten places. 
that the love, the God of love is making himself present with people. On the fourth Sunday of Advent, we reflect on the love of God. And I have been searching for words to describe the love of God demonstrated in this text. For without a doubt, this passage radiates that God loves his people. And yet I still struggle to understand the mystery of this moment. This mystery of what does it mean when John stirs in his mother's womb? What does it mean that Elizabeth, a woman far past childbearing years, is holding a child? She is with child and that the spirit descends upon her and she recognizes that her God has come close. What does it mean that this unwed teenage mother is the method by which God comes into our world? I don't have words for what it means other than this passage and this story radiate the love of God. The apostle John's telling of God's entrance into the world in his gospel writes this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In our God's infinite wisdom, he chose to live amongst us as us. We know the power of this every time we bend a knee to look a child in the eye. Every time we have a friend or a family member and we just sit with them in their grief. Every time we hear a co-worker's challenges and we just sit and listen, we know the power of what it means to just be present. What it means to just sit with another in their pain, in their brokenness, and in the chaos of life. And this is what the God of love chose to do. That unlike any other deity, he chose to get his hands into the dirt of creation. He chose to come and be present with us. He became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And as we look to the end of the year, take heart in the fact that the God of love is at work. Whatever things you're looking at, whatever things you're hoping for 2022, you may be looking at a job position, you may be looking at a family situation, you may be looking at a relationship, and you have hope in your heart that things might be different. Know that the God of love is at work. You might be looking at a health diagnosis or a family member's pain. Know that the God of love is at work and he's present. And it might not be in this life that all of our challenges and our pain and our problems and our chaos are taken away. But take hope that whether it is in this life or in the age to come, we lost power. (laughs) 
We'll just keep running with it. Whether it is in this life or in the age to come, our God is drawing you. As the author of Hebrews notes, we have a Savior that is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And is this working? Yes, there we go. Our God gives himself to his people in presence and in solidarity. If there is anything to take away from this story of the Christmas announcement, it is that the God of love is working in the uncertain and in the forgotten places. Worship team, you can join me on the stage. As human beings, one of the most meaningful expressions of love is simple presence. Simply sitting and being with one another. We've all experienced the bitter pain of sitting alone with our own troubles, wounds, and loneliness. And I think we've all experienced the simple kindness of a family member, a friend, or a stranger just simply sitting with us in our mess. It's the lesson to be learned from Job that the moment you open your mouth thinking you have the answers is the moment you inflict more of a wound. That love is simply being present with someone in the pain and in the heartache. And this is what the God of love has done for us. He has offered us his presence. And so as we desire to leave this space, to leave this worship service, and practice the way of Jesus, let us practice two things. Being present with God and being present with others. To be present with God is to be more aware of the ways he is at work. This whole story is about God showing up in surprising places. So my encouragement to us this morning is that we may pay attention to his gentle stirring and learn to catch a glimpse of his movement in our lives and in the lives of others. And that attunement to his movement is something that comes simply by learning to abide with him. Find times over the coming weeks to sit with your God and to learn his love, to hear his heartbeat. Then the second one is let us be present to others. This Christmas, as we go to celebrations, as we see family members, as we see old friends, let us learn to be present with others in love. Walter Brugman says this on the church, learning to be present with others. Imagine a whole company of believers rethinking their lives, redeploying their energy, reassessing their pur purposes. The path is to love God, not party, not ideology, not pet project, but God's will for steadfast love that is not deterred by faith, fear or anxiety. The path is to love neighbor, and to love neighbor face to face, to love neighbor in community action, to love neighbor in systematic arrangements in imaginative policies to love neighbor by sitting face to face 
in sitting with them in the midst of their pain? What if we, the people of God, learn to be present with others? What if we learn to just sit with our neighbor, to enter into the chaos of another's life and simply bear one another's burdens? What if we were willing to simply be and to hold tight to one another in every situation? Last night I was kind of making final preparations for this. Um, Any good sermon ends with a personal illustration, am I right? So I was trying to think. And uh, I decided on one. But at 8.15, I got a text from my mom saying that um, one of the toilets in their house had over flooded and it had been going for five hours and it was on the top floor and so their entire garage was destroyed. Didn't see this text until 8.45, so I quickly called and they were still at work tearing down the sheetrock and the insulation and it was just a mess. And they said, we didn't, we didn't want to call you. You're, you're preaching tomorrow. And we're like, no. So we hopped in a car. We drove the 30 minutes to my parents' house in Lenexa. We just went to work. And it was hard, back-breaking work of just shoveling up insulation and putting it in trash bags. We had a whole dumpster full of it by the end of the night. Long story short, it it took us two, three hours of just getting into the mess of it. But that is what it is to be present and to show up for those. It's to show up in presence in the midst and the chaos of a moment and to say, I'm here and I'm I'm not leaving until the job is done. I'm going to stay up as long as it takes. I'm going to drive back at 11, 12 o'clock. It's to get into the mess. And may we be people who, as soon as we see the text, as soon as we get the call, as soon as we see it on social media, as soon as we hear the breaking of someone's voice, we say, I'm here. What do you need? How can I be present with you to demonstrate the God of love in your life? May we learn this Advent season to be present with one another, to our family, to our neighbors, and in doing so, may we bear witness to the God of love. Church.